And God does give us some biblical guidelines for them, like marriage. He wants us to marry a believer. He doesn't want us to be unequally yoked. With children, he wants us to raise them up in the admonition and the fear of the Lord. But how many kids we have, which guy we marry, God gives us grace in those areas. He gives us the freedom to choose. Right? Amen. So when we think of God's will, what are we really talking about? If not those things, what is God's will? Well, our author this week talked about it a little bit. She gave us a hint on day four, which is where I got the idea for my lecture. She talked about Jesus' will, doing the will of the Father. And she said, I love this quote, the most wonderful feeling in the world is living in the center of God's will, that place where you know, you know, you know, you know, you are doing and being exactly what God desires at that specific moment in your life. But how many of us struggle with that? What is God's will for the moment in our life? Well, I'm here to tell you I have the answer. <laughs> okay, just a few of them. But anyway, God's will for Jesus on day four that we learned was to sacrifice himself on a, on a Roman cross, die for our sins, be buried, and raise, rise from the dead. Now, Leah said that was a sweet spot. How many of you were thinking, that's, that's a sweet spot? <laughs> that is not my idea of a sweet spot, is sacrificing myself. But yet it really is. It's just one of many sweet spots of being in God's will. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. But first, I'm a wordsmith. I love words. And I always want to go back to the original language. In the Old Testament, that would be Hebrews. And the New Testament would be Greek. So all the words I'm giving you today, if you look on your sheet, you're going to be filling out a lot of blanks. All those words are the Greek meaning of what I'm going to be talking about. So the first, let's start off with will. In the context of God's will, it means wish or desire. So simply, God's will is just God's wishes, God's desires. More specifically, what are God's wishes for us? What does he want us to be? What does he want us to do? When we look at scripture, we see that really God's will pertains to two specific things. Our character, like I said, what he wants us to be. Our conduct, what he wants us to do. So I've come up with eight of them. There's a lot, but I could boil it down to eight. So here we go with the first one. The first one is to be holy. God's desire, his wish, his will is for us to be holy. Holy means to be set apart, separate, fundamentally different. How many of you like that? Most of us want to blend in, don't we? We don't want to stick out. But yet, that's what God wants for us, is to be different, different from the world. And I put an egg up there because I thought it was kind of fun. Not a rotten egg, we're not to be rotten eggs, but we're just to be different, to stand out from the world so that the world notices we belong to God. God's desire for us has been that since the time of the Israelites. He chose this tiny nation to be separate unto him, to be different to be holy. And we see that in Deuteronomy 7, 6, where he says, for you are people holy or separate or different to the Lord your God. 
the, God, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God chose this tiny little nation to be different from all the other nations. So what did that look like for them? Well, that's what we've been studying this whole time. It was the laws. It was a sacrificial system with its priest and high priest and all the rituals. Those things distinguished Israel as separate, as holy, as different from all the other nations because they didn't do that. So when they obeyed God and did all of that, they were holy and separate unto God. Now with the advent of Jesus, remember, he did away with all that. The laws, the sacrificial system, all the priests, the high priests, and the rituals, they're obsolete. Remember, it is finished. We no longer need them. So does that mean you and I can assimilate to America? That we can blend in and be like the Americans? That we don't look different? Absolutely not. Because that call to holiness is still relevant today. Does this sound like what God said to Israel? It echoes some of the exact same words that he used when he called Israel out. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, my possession. So we are still to be holy, separate, and different unto the Lord. Okay, so we don't have the law, we don't have the sacrificial systems, we don't have the priests anymore. So what does the holiness look like for us today as Christ followers? Well, here's the short list. There's a lot, but I had to boil it down. So first, we watch what we say and how we say it. We make sure our words give grace and build up and encourage to those who hear. We don't tear down. We tell the truth. Imagine that. We don't lie. We give generously with our time, our money, and our talents. We aren't greedy or materialistic. We are self-controlled when it comes to drinking and eating. We don't get drunk. We aren't gluttonous. And we obey governmental authorities. Was everybody here on Sunday and heard Jeff's, Jeff's sermon? Powerful. By the way, I had this before he talked, so I win. <laughs> so yes, we do obey the governmental authorities that God put in place. We also pay our taxes. We don't evade our taxes, we pay them. And lastly, but not least, we are kind and tenderhearted to everyone, even our enemies. So contrary to the world today, isn't it? So contrary, but yet that's what we are called to be. Second, be loving. I got this wrong, I'm gonna show you, agape is not the right word here, it should be phileo. P-H-I-L-E-O. There's several kinds of love, and I accidentally got the wrong one, but I got the right definition, does that count? So phileo means affection, goodwill, benevolence. God's will is for us to be a loving people. Let us love one another. Whoever loves has been born of God. Conversely, if you're not born of God, you're probably an angry, bitter, hateful person. Love one another with brotherly affection. This is not a sexual love, this is a pure and platonic love that we have for one another here in this room or even out in the world. 
Scripture tells us that they will know we are his disciples by our love, not our hate, but by our love. So that is one of God's will for us, to be loving people, not characterized by hate or malice or ill will like the world is. Thirdly, be obedient. Now, I'm not saying your dog's here, but dogs tend to be obedient when they're trained properly, correct? That means to listen under and then to respond, to understand what we've been told and then do it. Now, if you're like my dog who has ADHD, you don't do a thing I say. <laughs> but we are to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. God's will means obeying God's word. And I love this quote, and I'm sorry, I don't have an, at, an attribution for it. I can't remember where I got it from, but this person article that I was reading said, obedience is the outward expression of the inward love for God. I love that. We obey because we love God. This next one is probably one of the hardest ones, and it was for me. Be forgiving. God's will for us, his desire, his wish, is that we forgive. Forgiving means to dismiss, to release, to pardon. And he says, forgive one another. What's our motivation? As God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving each other, so you also must forgive. Look at that word must. Does that give us an option? It doesn't. It's a command. God calls us to forgive. We must forgive. Conversely, unforgiveness, ladies, is bondage. It's not a release. It's bondage. And I know this from personal experience because when I first became a believer 30 years ago, I was in bondage to unforgiveness. I came from a very dysfunctional family, and I won't go into detail, but there were several people I had a hard time forgiving. I felt I was justified in my anger and my bitterness and my resentment because of what had been done to me. But God's like, as I grew and matured and got into his word, he kind of started convicting me. And I had to forgive. I had to release. I had to pardon the people that had hurt me so desperately. And what convicted me finally was the story of Joseph. And I'm assuming most of you know it here, but if you don't, I'm just going to give you the abridged version. The fact that Joseph was one of 12 sons, the favored son of his father, Jacob. But 10 of his brothers hated him with a vengeance to the point where they could even speak something nice to him. They were jealous, they were hateful, they were spiteful. So one day they conspired to kill him. But instead of killing him, they threw him in a pit and then they sold him to some slave traders who took him down to Egypt and then he got bought. So Joseph, from the age of 17 to the age of 28, was a slave in Potiphar's house. He had no rights, he had nothing of his own, he was a slave. Then he was a falsely accused of sexual misconduct. Got thrown into prison for two years. Somebody forgot all about him who had promised to remember him, so he got betrayed a second time. 
Well, then he got remembered, and because he was able to interpret dreams, he was released from prison and became the second highest government official in Egypt. So fast forward, guess what happens in Canaan? A famine. And guess who comes to Egypt looking for food? The very brothers who betrayed their own brother. They had to come groveling to him for food, and then when they discovered it was Joseph, they were heartbroken. Joseph could have withheld forgiveness. He could have said, go back to Canaan. Forget you guys. The verse that convicted me was this. Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph knew he was not God. He knew he could not withhold forgiveness from his brothers, even though he, maybe he felt like it but he didn't. So when it came to my circumstance, I realized I'm not God. I can't withhold forgiveness from this person. Only God has that right. And God does not withhold forgiveness if we ask for it. So I forgave this person. And that word release, I realized, has a double meaning. When we release them from the debt they owe us for hurting us, we're also released. It's a beautiful thing. We are released from that anger, the bitterness, and the resentment that has kept us in bondage because we have refused to forgive. Who doesn't want that? So I'm released. I forgave these people. And one of them now is in Christ. And we now share a bond in Christ. So I'm so happy. I am big on forgiveness. <laughs> so towards that end, I have a book. A girlfriend gave this to me. She, um, this is her ministry, by the way. She buys cartons of books and gives them away to people, which is beautiful. And so she gave me this book, and I've read it, and I want to give it away to one of you who is struggling. It's not easy to forgive people who've hurt us. But if somebody needs this book, and it will be a blessing to you and encouragement to you, I'm going to leave it right here. You may come up and get it after the lecture. You don't need to talk to anybody. You don't need to talk to me. Just take it, read it, and let God do his work through you in forgiving whoever has hurt you. Next, be peaceable. God's desire is for us to be at peace with all mankind. That word means tranquility, harmony, or security. This is not the greeting, peace be with you, although that would be nice to say, but this is a peace that relates to our relationships with one another and our attitudes towards other people. God wants us to be at peace with all people. Scripture tells us that we are to pursue what makes for peace, for the mutual upbuilding of one another. So what makes for peace? For some of us, that means keeping our mouths shut, doesn't it? <laughs> we have opinions. We have thoughts. And boy, we want people to know what they are. But in our day and age where we're so polarized, sometimes being at peace is just keeping our mouths shut. Sometimes we need to practice Proverbs 26:20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is a whisperer, quarreling ceases. 
Don't be the kindling in disagreements. Don't add fuel to the fire. Be at peace. Maybe put this one in your pocket for the holidays when you're with family and politics comes up or a controversial topic. Just sit quietly and listen. Don't add fuel to the fire. Next, be joyful. Be prayer warriors, be thankful. And this one could not be any more explicit. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. What? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pretty black and white. God wants us to rejoice, to pray, and to be thankful. Rejoice means to be glad, full of joy. Pray, and I did not make this up, to interact with the Lord by switching human wishes for his wishes. We can even change that to say, interact with the Lord by switching human will for God's will. And then thankful means to be grateful. Lots of scripture. What are we to rejoice? We rejoice in our sufferings. Not so much in the suffering, but what the suffering produces, which is endurance and character and hope. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Why? Because guess what? We're happy for them. Rejoicing with others takes away envy and jealousy. So we rejoice when something good happens to other people. We rejoice because our names are written in the book of life in heaven. Now, if that doesn't give you something to rejoice about, I don't know what does. And lastly, we rejoice because we're clothed with salvation and righteousness. Wonderful things to rejoice about. Pray, what do we pray for? We pray at all times in the spirit. We pray for our authorities, those over us, as Jeff reminded us on Sunday. We also pray for those who persecute us. We pray for those who mistreat us. Notice those are all geared towards others. We're praying for other people, we're intercessing for them. And there's one for us in particular, to take your own requests to the Lord. So we are to be praying for others and for ourselves. To be thankful, guess what? In all circumstances, good and bad, and for everything, good and bad. Even the bad stuff we can be thankful for because of what it produces in us, that it conforms us to Jesus Christ, that it refines our character. Next, be servants or serve. Notice serve and servant have the same root word in Greek, and that is to minister. It's the same thing. And I like in the, in the figuratively, it says wait at table as a slave who waits on his guests. Yeah, we're supposed to sacrifice and act as slaves to serve other people when it's not very convenient and not very comfortable. So we are to be servants. Through love, we serve one another. And our gifts. Everybody has at least one spiritual gift. That gift has been given to you by God, and it is for God's people, not yourself. So we use those gifts to build up the body of Christ. 
That's how we serve through that. And lastly, like Jesus, yeah, I wasn't going to pass that one up. We too are to be sacrificial with our lives. Now, does that mean we have to actually die for somebody? Possibly. We have to be willing to go that far. Many people have for you and I, for our faith. So yes, God says there is no greater love than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. But sacrifice can also mean other things. Doing something for somebody, like I said, when it's inconvenient for you. Sacrificing your personal time. Sacrificing your money that you might want to use to do something for yourself. So we are to live sacrificially. And guess what? We have a better example of someone who did all of this perfectly, sinlessly for us. Scripture tells us, look to Jesus. Imitate Jesus, for he is our better example. That's the theme of our Bible study. Jesus is better. He's a better example of holiness, being the son of God. He's a better example of loving others to the point of dying for them. He's a better example of being obedient, even unto death. A better example of forgiving others. Remember on the cross as they were dividing up his garments? He was killed by a group of jealous men. And what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is our supreme better example of how to forgive others who do something so heinous to us. He's better at being peace and bringing peace. He's our better example of being joyful. When he faced the cross, he faced it with joy. Who does that? Only God. He sets that example for us. He's also a better example of praying, of being thankful, of serving others and not being served, and of sacrificing for all of mankind's sins. Ladies, if we are following Jesus' example, better example of biblical character and conduct, we will always, always, always be in the sweet spot of God's will. Amen? All right. Dear Lord, we are so, so thankful for Jesus. Help us to be imitators of him. Help us to learn, Father, what it means to live in your will every moment of the day in that sweet, sweet spot of knowing we are pleasing you in all that we are and all that we do. Father, thank you for these dear ladies. I pray that your presence is felt among the discussion groups today. I pray that you have a word for them to grow their knowledge of you deeper, to grow their love for you even wider. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.